This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast uh, number 56. Uh, with me in Sweden, Johan Edebo. Hello, Johan. Hey, good evening. Uh, Hiroyuki Hamada in Long Island, New York. Hi, John. Uh, Varun Mathur is back uh, in New Delhi. Hello. And uh, Corey Morningstar in Toronto. Hi, Corey. <laughs> dead air, dead air. Um, okay, <clears throat> that's fine. Um, I wanted to start, I mean, it's been three weeks almost since we did a podcast and, and obviously lots of stuff has gone on. I will as... start. I will start, John. It's become so predictable that I'm bored. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, we knew, oh, a new variant will come, right? In, in Canada, in Ontario, they said in January, everything was going to end. In March, everything was going to end. They said months ago, I laughed. I said, that won't happen. You know, new variant's going to come. And then there will be booster shots, shots and chaos and online school. And what do you know? New variant, Omicron, you know, movie, like it's all you know, very, very um, spectacle-like, and all of a sudden, you know, new restrictions, surgeries delayed, it's all, you know, boosters, 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 chaos, mass, I mean, it's just so very predictable and, bo and boring at this point. Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, it, it just, as of yesterday, um, Norway uh, went into semi-lockdown, pretty much three-quarter lockdown, um nobody quite knows what that means which again speaks to how they never make anything clear um kindergarten what barnahaga here is is yellow alert and high school is red alert and i asked somebody what was the difference and they said we don't know um this is somebody who works at school uh so so there's that and and uh, you can go to restaurants but the waiters wear masks you don't have to i mean all these ridiculous kind of um you know protocols and stuff that are completely irrational make no sense and um <clears throat> my chess club was closed down why that got closed down but restaurants stay open is for example beyond me um uh i wanted to read a, a couple of paragraphs from Paul Kingsnorth, who's an Irish environmental activist and author. Um, and, and I have issues with some of his stuff. I, I just saw an interview with him, but mostly he's been very, very good. And these couple of paragraphs, I think, serve as, um, as, as a useful set of talking points. So let me read that here. Um, <clears throat> maybe three paragraphs. Um, I'm a writer. This is him. I am a writer. I know how to construct stories. I know what makes them succeed or fail. And I have a nose for when a story does not hang together. The COVID narrative is just such a story. It doesn't fit together, even on its own terms. Something is wrong. The surface tale does not reflect what lies beneath and what lies beneath is what interests me now we live in an apocalyptic time in the original sense of the greek word apocalypsis revelation 
What is happening on the surface is revealing what has always lain beneath, but which in normal times is hidden from view. All of the action now is in the underworld, beneath the arguments about whether or not to take a vaccine that may or may not work safely, glides something older, deeper, slower, something with all the time in the world, some great spirit whose work is to use these fractured times to reveal to us all what we need to see, things hidden since the foundation of the modern world. COVID is a revelation. It is laying bare splits in the social fabric that were always there but could be ignored in better times. It has revealed the compliance of the legacy media with the power of Silicon Valley to curate and control public conversation. It has confirmed the sly dishonesty of political leaders and their ultimate obeisance to corporate power. It has shown up the science, in quotation marks, for the compromised ideology it is. Most of all, it has revealed the authoritarian streak that lies beneath so many people and which always emerges in fearful times. In the last month alone, I have watched media commentators calling for censorship of their political opponents, philosophy professors justifying mass internment, and human rights lobby groups remaining silent about vaccine passports. I have watched much of the political left transition openly into the authoritarian movement it probably always was, and countless liberals campaigning against liberty as freedom after freedom has been taken away. I have watched intellectual after intellectual justify it all. I have been reminded of what I always knew. Cleverness has no relationship to wisdom. Okay, I'm going to end right there. Mm. Um, now, I have issues with that, mm. those couple paragraphs, right? Um, because I think the basic problem is that he's not a Marxist, um, and and that that it's not just yes, there's an authoritarian streak in people, but the authoritarian um, implementation of this authoritarianism is top down. You know, it's the ruling class. This is this is a class war, a class assault. Um, and and that seems not to be understood here. But he's also it's this, he's an interesting voice of a guy who is basically a kind of progressive, whatever that means, um, and and who and who who senses the fact that the story is is flawed. And that that was my response from the beginning. I remember thinking none of this makes sense to me and it doesn't it feels dishonest from day one it has felt dishonest so anyway um johan yeah yeah it felt like it felt off somehow you know uh, but i i think this is a is a is an important piece you're, you're reading from you should link it uh, after the pod and he has he has some great points uh, he says something that about how we're living through a narrative collapse as he frames it and in a sense, he, he argues that we're seeing not only the collapse of, of the institutions that make up our society, but also of the like a, a rupture of the fundamental myths by which we live. And this predictably brings all sorts of weird celery and doubling down and sunk cost fallacies when people are trying to, to resuscitate the, the old dead worldview. But, but there's, I think he, he goes a bit too far. I think he gets reductive in the sense that's typical of much postmodern thought, he has this tendency to reduce everything to narrative and nothing else. 
and this relates to, to his, his lack of Marxism, because a Marxist would also emphasize the the underlying material causes that that are uh, operating here. I think he kind of touches on that, but but it, it kind of gets reductive as well. That, that was just what I wanted to say. Right. No, he does, and it's funny. And I saw an interview with him, and and he talked a lot about uh, the fact that. Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson are are exempt from uh, you know prosecution, and that they have a, a long criminal record of of uh, you know cover ups and 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 uh, you know manufacturing drugs that prove to be um, dangerous and that they they you know um, forged you know, reviews that allowed them to get, you know, get approval too early, et cetera, et cetera. He knows all of this, but somehow it doesn't fit into, as you say, this narrative where he wants to see <clears throat> something of that, that COVID is a proxy for these other forces. And he's leaving out the, the clear, the force of Western capital, essentially that that this but he understands the authoritarian nature of of yeah. of of vaccine passports and the idea that you you know you you have to you know scan your qr code or whatever the hell it is before you go to the restaurant or bar and and um that and and, and he mentions in the interview how quickly that stuff has been normalized and this is something i've noticed here in norway that people just um it's it's they've they've absorbed all of this stuff or most of it into their daily lives with with barely a ripple of, of disruption and and it's disturbing um, and and that's a really key issue I think um, anyway yeah so um, Corey do you want to um, I think I don't think we've talked about this before so maybe I should just bring it up now. I mean, a lot of this stuff, you know, it's, um, you know, this was um, really strategic and pre-planned before it happened, just based on the very same day that the WHO announced the pandemic, the um, World Economic Forum announced their COVID task force in partnership with over, I can't remember, I think it's over 200 corporations at that time, which quickly grew to over 600 and then over a thousand, I believe, I'm not sure where it's at now. And then um, within a few days, you had the launch of the global, I forget what it's called, the global education, um, whatever it's called, it's the virtual education with Facebook and um, Google and Microsoft and everyone at the top. So you had all these things um, that were sitting there waiting in the wings, right, ready to go. I mean, that takes a lot of planning. These things just don't happen on a whim. They don't happen in a few yeah. days, a few hours, or even a few weeks. Um, one thing is the, the future of healthcare. And so um, the World this is a quote, World Economic Forum, the International Organization for Public-Private um, Cooperation has the private sector constituency of the UHC 2030 and provides a platform for interaction for all UHC 2030 partners and health systems network. So this is about um, the Great Reset. Um, it ties into UBI, the World Bank, and the WHO. So it's the UHC 2030 International um, Health Partnership. Um, and you can expect that to, like when UBI begins to roll 
be rolled out globally, and I'm surprised we haven't seen that happen yet globally. Um, we can expect the public health care to disappear. So all of this, even in Canada this week, we had, um, I think in Alberta, they've delayed uh, 15,000 surgeries this month. I, I can go yeah. back and look at the article. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people are dying from lack of treatment and lack of diagnosis for cancer and that. So we have, um, you know, deaths in the thousands that don't matter on the back of COVID. So again, it's um, getting used to this, right? Getting used to having no healthcare. I mean, the emergency rooms have been empty now for a couple of years as everything moves to telehealth. So this is a part of telehealth. Um, so see the universal, what's this called? Universal healthcare, universal, sorry, international health partnership 2030. Um, it doesn't mean that healthcare is free. It means that personal out-of-pocket payments do not deter people from using services and that people are protected from quote-unquote catastrophic health expenditures. And then if you go to The Lancet, there's actually an article from the fall of 2019, UN high-level meeting, time to act on universal health coverage. And then um, all the partners you have, you know, all of them are Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, all the same corporations and um, institutions that are involved in everything else that are consolidating their power globally. And so it's, um, uh, I, I'm, I believe this is invite only. I have a list of all the partners. It's massive, every single huge um, pharmaceutical corporation basically in the world, I think there's at least 37 of them. Um, anyway, it's really, really important. I, I can share a link for people to look that up, but it's sort yeah, of the direction all this is moving in. Um, Johan? Yeah, just a parenthesis on this issue. I mean, it's not only that, that uh, treatments are being canceled, it's also that the, the infrastructure of, of medical research is being hyper-focused on COVID and nothing else, which have, this has a lot of indirect negative effects. There's an article in, in, in The Times, the British newspaper, with the title, Medicine on Hold as Thousands of Clinical Trials are Abandoned. Uh, I'll just read the first paragraph. Uh, thousands of clinical trials seeking new treatments for, for diseases, including cancer and heart disease, have been suspended or abandoned in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Experts warn that improvements in patients' chances of survival in a variety of serious diseases were likely to reduce as a result. And they say further that they have <clears throat> they suspend permanent and closed 1,500 clinical trials of new drugs and treatments, while a further 9,000 have been suspended. And this is due to the the extensive focus on, on COVID and nothing else, which is being done in, in medical research. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> it's, um, it's interesting that, that uh, the prime minister in Norway here uh, appeared on television. Everybody was watching eight o'clock to announce the, the implementation of new restrictions, the resumption of new restrictions. And he said, because Omicron, the variant Omicron uh, has changed the rules. And uh, if you listened to that speech, you would have assumed naturally that, that this was a very dangerous uh, variant, a very dangerous virus. Um, and, and in fact, not a single person so far globally has died from Omicron. Um, and so I tried to find information about hospitalizations in Norway because the, 
the there was another um i think the health minister made a speech about we have we're very worried about overburdening the healthcare system and our hospitals we're going to be overrun because this is such a contagious variant and so forth um and of course it's not true there's there's the hospitalizations are very low uh, nobody is deathly ill at all, uh, but you can't find the information about how old the the few people who are in hospital are, uh, if they have comorbidity, uh, et cetera, et cetera, if it's Omicron or just COVID or whatever it is. It's impossible to find this information. And I was reading a headline the other day because the NBA season, basketball season is underway in the U.S. And they've had to postpone games because two-thirds of the Chicago Bulls team uh, tested positive for uh, COVID. And they have to go through these protocols and, I guess, quarantine of some sort and so on. None of them are sick, mind you. Not a one of them has a symptom. And but this is never mentioned in the article. You have to dig and research mm. and find out uh, what's going on. Nobody's sick. Nobody's sick. On the other hand, athletes seem to be dropping uh, like flies from heart conditions. Uh, all of them, of course, vaccinated. And and that's a, a story that I think the the mainstream media is having trouble. Um, <laughs> Uh, finding a a narrative to um, to to place on it because you know there's just endless headlines: sudden death, unexpected death, drops dead on the field, etc. So these are people all in their twenties and thirties, and um, and and this is I this is something that at a certain point is there's going to have to be a serious propaganda uh, uh, exercise initiated to explain it all because the numbers are, are just too high. Um, Johan? Yeah, but we already hear that it's because of the stress of COVID, you know, and, and right. climate change. <laughs> but I, and I see that Omicron has been, it's been on the market for about two weeks. And I just wanted to ask uh, what everybody's view on, on this, this, um, this new this new uh, hate week event is wh why does it emerge right at this moment do you think uh i think everyone's ready the boosters are ready the third booster i mean all through north america at least i mean right. number four or five but here this is the perfect thing to, to you know get people scared to go get the booster shot yeah i read that um 90, almost 90% of Norwegians are uh, double vaccinated. And I read an aside in an article here, some government official said, well, but, and almost all the people hospitalized are the unvaccinated, which is interesting because almost nobody here is unvaccinated. So I don't know where all these people are coming from that um, she thinks are are overburdening the healthcare system because everybody's vaccinated. Um, I'm not, but you know, uh, most everybody here is. Uh, yeah, that I mean, I guess that's the uh, that's that's the agenda is just simply endless boosters, and and we're also seeing 
And it would, Varun, it would be interesting to hear from you on this the situation in India, because we're hearing the 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 transition or the the merging of of the COVID pandemic narrative with with the climate narrative, um, and and along running alongside that, of course, is the depopulation um, B story, is is depopulation, uh, and and. Uh, as as Johan just mentioned, it's you know the stress because I saw it's the stress of COVID. It's also the stress of climate worry that is causing young people to have heart attacks, myocarditis, and whatever. Um, yeah, that was their their the first attempt by the the um, by the medical Madison Avenue to to explain all of this. But anyway, Varun, maybe just a report from India would be. Would be interesting. I was I was at somebody's house the other day and I uh, was chatting with someone and they mentioned that um, COVID is just like the flu now and every time you get it you just get another booster yeah. and so <laughs> it's it's that kind of a it's that kind of a mentality now is that um, most people are vaccinated. I think there have been about twelve hundred and fifty million doses that have been administered in India. Wow, 1,250 doses that have been administered. And um, so the uptake has been incredible and people, it's been normalized entirely. And people are um, quite keen to get the next dose so that they can travel across and right. go. But on the other hand, what also happened is that another friend of mine, he flew to another state, he didn't have to present an RT-PCR test. He did not have to present a vaccination card. Nobody asked him for anything. And um, there is a movement which is taking shape. Um, a case against um, Bill Gates and his Indian counterpart, who is Adar Punawala, who has been manufacturing the COVAX vaccine. A case has been filed against them on the basis of murder by a citizen and a, and, a, and a lawyer in the high court, which is quite a, it, and a lot of people are talking about it. And when I go sit in the bar and I chat to people, they're not very convinced about the Omicron variant at all. They're saying it's all bullshit and this shit needs to stop now, basically. So <clears throat> public mood seems to be shifting after, but that's the problem is that people have already got two or three shots and they're waiting for either the third shot or the fourth shot. But the public mood in general is now tilting against this narrative and people are starting to sort of question what's going on. Largely because of um, spending too much on RT-PCR tests, essentially, because <laughs> Adani owns some of the airports and there was recently a new story about how much money they're making out of just getting people to do all these tests every time they have to come in and out of ports and things like this so yeah that's what's going on here well but, it's interesting because I, i'm sorry to interrupt you no i but no. just i've had the same thing that most people i know in the united states anyway but some in europe many of whom work in hollywood and and in film um, almost all of them have been vaccinated. 
None of them wanted to be vaccinated, but it was just too big a sacrifice to to deal with being, you know, out of work. Essentially, they wanted to work. They wanted to travel. And so they just they you know, they they were concerned and they didn't want it. And they if it weren't for this social coercive, you know, um, pressure, they wouldn't have. But they did. And they weren't you know, they weren't unduly concerned about it, really. Um, they're all very cynical about it. None of them really believe the story, but but they've gone ahead and done it. So I don't know. I don't know how to read the public. You know, I mean, it, it's both it's both we're shifting all, and not. Yeah, go ahead. We're, all, we're also getting rid of um, they're also getting rid of the control group. Right. But the more people yeah. they vaccinated, the less people there are um, to um, compare against, you know, that group. Right. And right. so the less, you know, um, liability and everything else, like if you can sort of erase, um, you know, the control group itself, um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, <clears throat> no. And that's interesting at a, at a certain point, what, you know, because as this woman said, or I read, and then it was repeated to me that, well, most of the people in hospital here, you know, all these, all these people in hospital are, are unvaccinated. And I thought, but, but in Norway, that's very few people. This is like an impossible thing to believe, you know? Um, so, cause it's over 90% or just around 90% double vaccinated and over 90% single vaccinated. So um, we're not talking very many people. John, uh, I've been, or you guys, I've been reading on the new book by Robert F. Robert Kennedy Jr. Mm. Um, what's it called? The real Anthony Fauci. And the, I'm just into it. I don't know about 75 pages, but the whole beginning is, is superb. Um, you know, a great database of all the information about the, you know, ivermectin, about the, what's the other one? The high hydroxychloroquine. That one, I, I mean, I knew about them, but I didn't realize how amazing these drugs are and just the thing about the vaccine the vaccinated versus the non-vaccinated and how many people are being um, actually killed by these vaccines is all laid out in the book and it's high you know just tons of citations it's just he's done an incredible job and he doesn't beat around the bush you know these vaccines are killing people yeah this was a quite an interesting. I, I uh, incidentally met a GP who's my neighbor right next door, and he's been practicing for a long time. He's in his mid seventies, and I really didn't have, honestly, in the last year and a half, never had the courage to actually bring up any of this with him. But we struck a conversation a few days ago, and he started showing me um, videos from the debriefings that Reiner Filmic has been doing in Germany about the WHO whistleblower Astrid uh, Stuckelberger. And then I, I went over to his house today and he said that the only thing that he's been prescribing all his patients has been ivermectin and HCQ all through this time. And he's been able to help a lot of people stay out of hospital and get healthy quick enough. And that he himself has not taken the two shots, which was quite a surprise. It was quite a good story yeah. to hear. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I th I I think that that one of the one of the um, 
important stories to come out of the last two years, and I suppose this is obvious, has been the power of of media, electronic media, mass media, you know, legacy media, however you want to define it, the, the flagship papers and, and um, internet sites and, and television stations and all the rest. Uh, because as Hiroyuki mentioned um, last time, or maybe during the week, I don't remember, um, that, that he happened to be exposed to uh, regular primetime television news and and was stunned it was the first time in a long time you can talk about this here yuki but but i had a similar experience i mean it when you catch uh a few minutes of of msnbc or fox news or cbs or any of the large ones uh it's shocking the the level of uh of propaganda that, that, that they be yammer away beating on the same theme and they all say the identical same thing. And it's just pure fear mongering and, and indoctrination. And I think because none of us tend to, to watch those or read those sites and places uh, it, it always comes as a, as a, a kind of, um, I don't know, shock uh, when, when, you, when you do, because they, they, are, they are very powerful. They shape the discourse. They influence people. Deep down, people have decades and decades and decades of uh, conditioning, uh, whether they are cynical or, or, or not. Um, or skeptical to something, they still at bottom tend to believe those voices. Uh, at the end of the day, they are distrustful of any dissident voice that is not coming out of one of those um, spaces of official authority. Um, but anyway, Hiroyuki, maybe you can Oh yeah, that's really, really totally true. That the uh, the the power of the media, uh, we um, we we are away from those things, but a lot of people rely on those things and regularly take in those things. So um, and like you were just saying, it's 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 really shocking to um, re-exposed and uh, the effectiveness and the the, the blatant nature of. Uh, uh, use of everything, use of uh, phrases, uh, rhetoric, uh, uh, the visual, uh, the graphs and uh, the terms, uh, they're all designed to hurt people into scaring, um, uh, being fearful. And uh, uh, so they would listen to the narratives and, uh, and that becomes the framework of their lives. They, they sort of uh, uh, rely on those things to gauge where to go, where not to go. So um, if you're away from those things and if you start to talking, start talking about facts, uh, it, that sounds odd. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, and then the, the, you will be termed uh, conspiracy theorists or uh, dissidents, uh, whatever, that, that are um, uh, demonizing wars. And, uh, and those things are uh, already prepared. Um, 
people are going to be demonized and also people are going to be um, uh, hearted into this theater of political, uh, corporate political games. So uh, it's great to see those uh, protests, um, but a lot of the things are guided by the uh, uh, corporate political uh, narratives. And uh, it's, um, um, so again, it's, um, the, the momentums are already designed to uh, uh, being shifted toward this way, that way, and they will be re-merging into this structure of self-correcting mechanism of capitalism. So, right. it, um, uh, I mean, it's a great time to learn, you know, it, it's all um, in front of our, our eyes and we can learn, we can talk about it, but it seems like it's a, it's a huge um, uh, uh, things are flooding out to uh, make it, uh, go the way you know it yeah be. no listen the, the the voices of opposition are extraordinarily um are, are effectively marginalized and silenced and and disappeared um and and uh social media does this obviously but just in general there is such a such a um uh, an imbalance in visibility between those voices and and voices like ours say um, the imbalance is 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 um, is just massive. It's right, it's, and, and it, in particular, the, the the social media part is really really. Uh, I think it's very very effective. You know, we uh, voice our concerns, we network, and we. Um, um, gain followers and uh, we uh, gain some sort of visibility and um, social media algorithm would right. place right. us at certain spot which is marginalized and not to be trusted. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. the more we try, more we uh, present ourselves, we are presented as marginalized voices. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's sort of like um, uh, uh, Western democracy, the whole idea of representative democracy, you have those political parties and uh, they compete against each other within the framework of uh, acceptable ideas. Yeah. And also if you have certain ideas, you are not going to be bigger than certain size. Yeah, I think this is really key, but um, Johan and then I will, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're exactly right, you okay? I think because the the contemporary social media kind of works in a in a jujitsu way where where it uh, any momentum you get can be used against you due to these uh, structural associations right. that are made. You, you get kind of associated with an enemy image so easily. I just wanted to mention that I see in, in New York that J.P. Morgan has taken upon themselves to ban all unvaccinated workers and guests from their Manhattan offices. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but wow. maybe they're trying to, to be the to front run this thing, to be a leader in the in the. And I also saw that the ex-governor is his name Cuomo. He, he's being yeah. forced yeah. to to repay the profits from some kind of book he wrote uh, about the <laughs> pandemic. 
Do you know anything about that? No, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm laughing as I, yeah, I mean, I, no, it's, it's, um, I think this is a, a critically important question, actually. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a bit of um, theater of the absurd, certainly, but it's also significant to go back to, to Paul Kingsnorth and voices like his, who have been, you know, very important in, in many ways. And, and he gets so many things right. But, uh, but at bottom, there is, there is a belief in the system somehow, even if this is unconscious, semi-conscious, uh, <clears throat> there is a, there is a hesitation, um, a reluctance to take this next step that says this is an intentional war meant to kill people, uh, to, to enslave essentially, to, you know, pauperize the working class, put them on universal basic income, uh, monitor their every movement and constantly bombard them with propaganda, telling them that they're happy. You know, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Um, Klaus will own a lot of things and be a lot more happy. But that's, you know, beside the point. So so th th there is <clears throat> there is a reluctance to think that 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 this was actually a conspiracy in spite of this preponderance of evidence, as Corey mentioned, you know, massive amounts of of information and and research at the a lot of people have done Corey among them <clears throat> excuse me but but it's ignored because because it's very difficult for the average westerner at least the average white westerner the white bourgeoisie to assume that that mm. the system is their enemy that the system is out to actually um do them yeah. harm is not in their interest does not represent their interests in any way at all yeah Corey I was sort of thinking about that this week like how you know violence and exploitation are inherently built into the system of capitalism and then how um you know a, not built into it but I more like a byproduct of it I would say domestication is um, a direct um, byproduct of the capitalist system. I mean, that's what we're seeing now, a completely domesticated um, populace, right? So I, I sort of was thinking about that. And then um, just, you know, that article that I, that I started with um, in Canada, Alberta surgeries cut back by 2,800 per month in the first 15 months of pandemic. It goes into their... Um, saying in the five provinces where data is available between 27 and 57% of physician services were provided virtually. And then at the very end of the article, this is what I'm trying to get at, it's called unintended consequences. Oh, and then we're talking about, um, for example, the opioid crisis, the amount of overdoses has, has reached now um, an unprecedented number, right? Now it's it's broke all records, um, self-harm and overdose addiction, right? Because um, by not by the pandemic, quote unquote pandemic, but by lockdowns, right? And all these restrictions and all the fascist measures that have, um, you know, been, been sort of thrust upon us. 
Um, and then the last sentence, while these measures are intended to restrict the spread of COVID-19, they may also be leading to unintended consequences. Well, that's a, you know, that's a lot of bullshit. We've known this from the very beginning that there's been unintended consequences. So we have tens of thousands of people that have died. We have, ten, we have hundreds of thousands of people that have starved to death, right? We have hundreds of thousands of people, children and women that have been denied um, no access to healthcare, right? Again, not because of COVID, but because of lockdowns and because of this transition to this new great reset where, um, like you said, all the wealth accumulation goes to um, the, you know, up towards more to the top over and over and over again, keeps going to the top. And I just wanted to add, because sometimes I divulge things that, you know, I see in, in my life directly. And like, I think I've, maybe I haven't even said that one of my own kids, you know, confided in me that she has called the suicide hotline twice in the past month. And um, my niece was just recently taught down off a bridge, jumping off a bridge, um, killing herself, right? She's native. Um, I mean, these things are real. These are happening and no one gives a shit. So the same people that say they care about your health are happy to see everyone, you know, ODing and killing themselves, dying from not no treatment, um, not, you know, um, depression, imagine the meds, right? Imagine the pharmaceutical medications now that people are being prescribed. This is a losing game for, for the working class, right? And the peasantry, there's no one winning here. And it doesn't stop until we say enough, we're done with this. People have always died from the flu. People will always die from the flu, right? Right, yeah. Um, but just, no, can I go ahead. Yeah, because right now what's happening, I mean, it connects to what uh, Hiroyuki and Corey both said just now, um, is how the game is played in the sense that right now there, there is already plants of news stories in mainstream media in India and in all the publications saying that India is going to start witnessing a decline in population growth rate and fertility across religious groups. And things like this. They're yeah. saying that India's population will soon start to shrink more than expected. And things like that are already being planted in the news. And it's not, you know, and when you, when, when they start putting this stuff out, then people normalize it already. It's like, it's a natural occurrence. And nobody is going to be willing to, let's say, connect a heart attack six or eight months after vaccination to the vaccine is going to be more with the propaganda of climate change and all that nonsense that's going on. So this kind of conflation mm -hmm. that these people are masters at doing is always going to keep them um, away from actually anybody pinning the blame on them directly. That's the propaganda. It's, it's really genius in that sense, you know? Well, I I think what's interesting when to to ponder the extraordinary power of the ruling class in this, and uh, and their control of media and, and entertainment. Um, I forget where HBO, uh, Showtime. One of them had a, a series, limited series, directed by Barry Levinson, called "Dope Sick." This last few months. 
about the Oxycontin story, and it's about the extraordinary um, malevolence of this drug company, their dishonesty, their forging of records, their disregard for human life. They didn't care how many people overdose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a sort of expose. Now, it's also a bit of a fairy tale because it 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 um, sugarcoats a lot of the even harsher realities. But it is a story about a profoundly corrupt uh, in, you know, health system, institutions of health, um, the FDA and, and all of these places, doctors that were bribed and paid off and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is prime time, very, you know, lots of ratings. It's going to win lots of awards and virtually nobody then looks over and looks at the COVID story and Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson and, and makes the connection. It's, it's remarkable. This is entertainment and it's a feel good story and people can applaud the, um, the success with which they were prosecuted and so forth. But then they will believe wholeheartedly in the declarations of from Pfizer executives, a company with decades of of lawsuits and and pay, they paid out billions and billions, tens of billions of dollars um, for wrongdoing, that connection is not made. You know, they will still believe the narrative uh, about the vaccines that these are essential. They you know, they're not going to harm you, trust the science, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things Kings North mentioned, I think, to his credit was that early on, the his first shock, and I think we've talked about it on, on the podcast at some point, his first shock was that there was no public debate. You know, there should have been scientists and virologists and, and sociologists and psychologists on every news channel debating vigorously the pros and cons of lockdowns and, and, you know, this unprecedented sort of house arrest that, that healthy people were put under, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing, 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 not a word. In fact, any voice of dissent from the beginning has been silenced, demonized, stigmatized, shamed, ridiculed. Um, and that hasn't changed to this day, in fact. So, uh, there is a there is a strange process of compartmentalization that that people have I think been encouraged to practice actually, and they do it very well. Um, anyway, uh, Johan, do you have? Yeah, sure. But but that that also relates to this inability of the well, mostly perhaps the the, the middle classes to to question the narrative and to see <clears throat> to perceive the system as a threat to themselves. And as you say, Varun, uh, even if you see these uh, these weird uh, facts, uh, such as in Scotland, uh, now it seems you have a 150% increase in stillbirth or something like that. I mean, it's, it's not huge. It's not extreme, but it's going to be significant over time. But how, how do you imagine this is going to be connected to, to anything like, I mean, nobody's going to investigate this, especially not in a situation when when every clinical trial other than COVID related stuff or pertaining to the viral infections or the marketing of, of the, the drugs is going to be explored. 
so so that's a it's a huge nest a uh, network of, of 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 problematic issues that are exacerbating all of this at the same time you know yeah yeah um no i think i think that that uh this is it, there's a tendency i think that we all have to to generalize to think in black and white terms uh to 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 express this narrative in in a in a reductive way um uh but but uh in fact all of these all of these issues are are multifaceted and and not clear at all i mean the, there are different degrees of skepticism out there you know people are not just totally skeptical or totally believing there's all these areas of partial skepticism uncertainty confusion and i think that was the intention of of the propaganda apparatus was to make everything unclear and uncertain as i say nobody in norway knows what the new restrictions actually are i don't think that's an accident um cory oh. yeah yeah or whoever i was just going to say that i mean the the two big things that have occurred which have very quickly disappeared is that it's gene therapy and very likely the initial virus is based out of gain of research which is uh, sorry gain of function research which is like i mean anybody who's taking a naturally occurring thing to make it more virulent and more dangerous and offshoring that kind of research and then of course creating genetic modulation and gene therapy medication to cure that is i mean these kind of conversations have have completely disappeared from any conversations that anybody is having now and those are the two biggest kind of points that we really need everybody should really be looking at is that why would you make something more dangerous so that you can sell medication for it first of all and then what is the medication actually doing to you nobody knows about any of this stuff at all and it's all disappeared in oh i want to travel or i want to be able to travel or i want to be able to earn my living or i want to you know which politician is lying how much and how can we corner them and things like that so the the essence of all of this and how the the establishment is actually for lack of better terms fucking the population of the world completely has completely disappeared all of it has just completely disappeared from public discourse entirely um cory okay johan oh no dead air dead air dead air i just wanted to ask cory actually actually because i i see that there are people there are lots of volunteers scanning vaccine passports for for uh, various uh, functions in canada for instance where when the kids are going to play hockey and these kinds of things and i was just thinking about how <clears throat> everybody is more or less becoming a, a shield for the official narratives everybody's working for free as a propagandist in social media in a in a way i haven't really really seen before you you make these posts and you get these nice likes and and feel feel good and, and you you kind of reproduce the the stories in that way and i've been reflecting on how how social media 
in some sense presses us into service as propagandists in some kind of crowdsourcing of propaganda. And I was wondering if you have any reflections on that kind of issue. Because, you know, it's not just when you reshare news articles or when you write comments, because the, the systems eat up the data regarding every single like and interaction and these kinds of things, things you do. And it it uses this data to, to further refine the, the impact of the information that's transmitted. So, so it works in, in many ways to use each and every one of us as, as propagandists in some sense. What are your thoughts on this? Um, Corey or Hiroyuki? Um, well, okay. I, I, I'll, I'll go ahead. Okay, so my thought, my thoughts on that is yes, because um, even what Brune was saying, how we're naturalizing the population thing, right? And so I, I agree with that, that that we are in fact, um, you know, um, doing the job for the for the ruling class, you know, preparing people for what's to come. And I think um, John deserves a lot of credit for his work over the year on population. Um, specifically what Broom was mentioning earlier on how we're creating, how we're talking about that so people will pre pre be prepared, right? When people start, you know, the sudden death illness that we see now, right? Sudden death, sudden death, sudden death. If you look at the past month of headlines you've got in the week, America is looking down a population collapse. You've got... Um, You've got, I, what is this one? WIO News. For the first time in centuries, world's population is set to decline. That's six days ago. I'm citing a new study published in The Lancet. Um, then you've got another one, The Guardian. Chinese birth rate falls to a new low. Then you've got Scientific America. Humans are doomed to go extinct, right? So there you've got the narrative already, right? And then when, yeah. like when Brun says, when people start seeing it, oh yeah, we knew this was going to happen, right? All of a sudden people dropping dead like flies, not from COVID, um, but from, you know, um, I would say the jaw, right? Which again, immunity is a service. Why are people taking third, fourth, fifth jabs, right? Why do you need that? The first ones didn't work, right? So you're, you're creating um, emerging markets, just like the testing. You've got people on the radio talking about Christmas saying, oh, doctor, do you think maybe people should be testing their guests? Oh, what a good idea. Yes, you can pick up your test, you know, at your local pharmacy. And and what do you think, doctor? Should we wear masks, you know, inside now when we get together for Christmas? Oh, well, that's not real, not a bad idea, right? So again, we've got um, border contracts for uh, in Canada, um, almost a billion dollars, maybe $600 million, new testing contracts, like all these new emerging markets, right? And we, and we knew all that. And I talked about that, right? 2019 in Davos, right? Um, Imperial College, you know, the same people that created this um, paper that started the whole chain of events. How do we create a vaccine revolution, right? Time Magazine a year later, vaccine revolution. Well, look, look at, look at, <laughs> look around what's happened, right? The new war, right? Vaccine revolution, new war on humanity. Well, you know, the, but this goes back to, to, um, I think um, when we're talking about doing the work for the ruling class in some sense, they are able to neutralize and, and repurpose dissent and create the, a frame that 
that um, reverses the original meaning of that design. I mean, all these things, we understand how algorithms work and distort and control the message that's out there and what people read and how they read it. Um, uh, all of this is, is understood and has been understood. And I, you know, I have no solution to it other than to, you know, keep finding ways to somehow um, art articulate what I believe, what, what people believe. But I think the hardest single issue is, and, you know, I hate to go back to Marx again, but uh, there is a, an enormous reluctance to, uh, to, to look at the, the, the fact that this was an intentional, um, malevolent project to, uh, to sort of control a collapsing capitalist system that was in crisis and, and uh, reshape it, restructure it into a sort of global digital economy of some sort. I mean, there's various interpretations of what that means. And, but, but to, to look at th these extraordinarily wealthy individuals, unelected, wielding enormous, enormous power everywhere, and to see them as dangerously insane Firstly, but certainly ill-intentioned, uh, and and because you look at the wealth of Bezos or Sam Walton or or, or Elon Musk or Jack Ma or whoever, um, Benioff, etc., all of these ghouls, and Bill Gates, and and you think, look what imagine what they could do with that money, imagine what what they could actually do that was good. You know, imagine the people that could actually feed and just and they don't do any of it. They take space tourism trips and they amass more money They're They they're addicted to the constant, you know, um, further accumulation of wealth, distillation of wealth in ever fewer hands. And. And we have never seen, the world has never seen this kind of wealth in so few hands. And it, it strikes me as, you know, extraordinary that people don't see the danger in this, that of course um, it's that power, that wealth is going to be abused. And I'm, I brought up Marx because without that, without understanding that, that class is, at bottom behind this entire event we are discussing that that the ruling class has different interests than you or I um, that you're going to you are going to end up with partial and inaccurate you know conclusions and the other thing of course though that's that's disturbing we've talked about this and I don't want to I want to I see raised hands here but um, is that so many on the left have capitulated their critical faculties, apparently. Um, um, people who self-identify as Marxists seem to have abandoned all their Marxist education. Um, other ones out there spend their time on social media discrediting their fellow leftists and dissidents. Um, and I think it just speaks to the mental health of the population at large, that this is a, this is a sick society, Western society in, in many ways. Um, and I'll just as a footnote mention Africa, again, the least populated continent 
um, on the planet with virtually no COVID and nobody can explain it. Um, Corey and then Johan. Right, I'm just, go ahead, Johan. Johan, uh, go ahead. Oh sure, I, I just uh, I thought you were right on on the money there with the you dozed emerging... off. That's okay. That's... <laughs> the emerging market stuff, you know. I, I mean, we have the, these kind of emerging markets of, of essentially parasitic extraction in a very unprecedented manner, and and that's something the the left really should I mean be able to pick up on. I think, and I want to go back to New York because. There's a there's a piece in the New York Times I saw. It's from today. It's called "Omicron is a dress rehearsal for the the next pandemic," and it's it's author, a science journalist, apparently has ties to the World Economic Forum, and and the main thesis says that that we need more testing and more surveillance and and more a greater ability to to perform the, these gene sequencing operations in analysis to detect more variants and so on. So, so the push is evidently to, towards greater and, and more intricate surveillance machinery, which can then obviously be used to extract wealth in, I mean, at every turn. Right. Um, Corey? Oh, I was just reading an article actually um, while we we're talking about Africa. Well, I don't know if we we're even talking about it. Africa scientists mystified where is Africa avoids COVID 19 disaster. That's November 19th. And it's just talking about how in Africa everyone's, you know, at the market and selling vegetables. On they, someone has a mask in their pocket because they, you know, in case they have to put it on if the cops come, but no one, you know, they're back to doing everything. It's been relegated to the past, the 19 on the person in the article says, who do you know who's died of COVID-19? Nobody, zero deaths. And then the, the who on data shows infections dropping since July. And basically, you know, 6%, what is it? Fewer than 6% of people in Africa are vaccinated, right? And yet Africa is one of the least affected regions in the world. Right. And then um, obviously we've heard of um, now COVID cases rising in South Africa, right? right? Which is like largely, um, I, I think um, the population is largely like Western. I, I mean, I haven't been there, but that's what I think. Um, anyway, and then you look at, okay, why, why no vaccinations? Why do they not have it? I mean, one thing is I've read, maybe not in the book, but some doctor in interviews saying lots of Africans take ivermectin um, weekly, like it's called Sunday, Sunday type of thing. And you take it like, you know, like you take vitamins here for um, different, um, just a, a measure of good health. And um, that could be one thing. But another thing, you know, they're the populations outside, right? They're outside a lot, right? Not inside, not locked down inside. They're outside. They're not, you know, they're not obese, right? They don't right. put their um, parents in old age um, centers or whatever you call them, senior care facilities. They don't lock them up in boxes, right? And leave them to people to, to care for them that don't want to care for them, right? Like people that are poorly paid and don't want to be there. Um, anyway, all these different things, but again, like we just ignore this. This is ignored. It doesn't fit into the narrative. Right, right. 
No, it's remarkable. And then you look at the most heavily vaccinated countries, Gibraltar, Israel, West Flanders, I guess, Ireland, with with huge increases in COVID um, infections or positive test results. Who the fuck knows? But that the vaccine so patently doesn't work. I mean, I don't know how this is spun, you know, Um, except that I think the the propaganda narrative is so entrenched, has been repeated so much. And people, again, compartmentalize. They function off um, a rote obedience to these voices of authority, even if they know. I think most people would tell you who who adhere to the the official narrative would tell you, oh, well, well, that Fauci, yeah, he looks like a little criminal. I don't trust him. But they do what he says, you know. Um, and the, 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 the other voices globally, I mean, are the health minister in Canada, the, what's her, you know, the one that wants you to wear masks while having sex. Um, <laughs> extraordinary. I mean, these extraordinarily crazy people. Um, Yacinda Ardern, is that her name in New Zealand? Um, uh, bonkers, visibly insane. Uh, then you look at Australia. I mean, they're, they are just repeating the 19th century again in Australia. They've started to cart off the indigenous population to internment camps. Um, it's remarkable, but, but none of this has very much traction and social media is controlled. So this stuff, you know, it's a 24 hour news cycle for everybody. And this stuff just mm. doesn't stick. Johan. Yeah, and it's kind of basic immunology that if you if you mass vaccinate with a with a non-sterilizing vaccine, you will create I mean immunity escape variants if, if it regards a virus. I mean that that's that's what happens. It's not news to, to anyone who's informed regarding flu vaccinations. Every doctor I speak to affirms this. But I, I just wanted to ask you, Corey, since you've read Kennedy's book, uh, if he has uh, an additional take on the the uh, lethality of the vaaccines other than s- stuff like various data these kinds of things does he add I, i'm i'm right at that right now i'm right at that part yeah. so um next one i'll do some i'll highlight some stuff in the book yeah yeah um <clears throat> yeah we should provide a link to where people can get that and what the what the title of it is and stuff i've not read it yet but um yeah, I, I think that I think that uh, when you look at the last two years, I mean, if you if you go back and, you know, look at these podcasts for when we this our official group here kind of started um, uh, from back in the it's two weeks to flatten the curve uh, to where we are today. It's it is. I, everybody agrees. It's it's remarkable. It's hard to fathom that that. I feel this way. I'm surprised that that this has happened as quickly and efficiently and effectively as it has, notwithstanding the massive protests. Um, they are very big protests, but but they're not going to ultimately go anywhere. I don't think. I hope I'm wrong about that. But um, in the same way that people protesting the lead up to the war in Iraq did absolutely nothing to deter the, the, 
war machine from um, from attacking um, and occupying and on and on. And so it, there is a there is a there is a strange um, unreality to all of it. I I you know and I I'm most fearful. I shudder the most when the discussion turns to children, having three small children, um, having grandchildren. Uh, it it really does um, strike fear in my in my heart um, because they're coming for everybody at some point. They, the 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 perpetrators of what is a global crime, um, are they're coming for for everyone. This they want they want um, a, a some sort of absolute system of control. That um, now I don't think they're going to get that, but the not getting of it is going to cause enormous suffering and 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 bloodshed, I think, and violence. Johan, well, the, yeah, yeah. The, I, I EU, oh, sorry, is it Varun? Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say that yeah. the head of the EU wants to. Well, she's bringing up scrapping the Nuremberg Court right now, and oh, that's yeah. a really scary prospect considering what's going on right now and i mean i just want to add really quick is that i think i mean when we have these discussions and all of us are having these discussions with other people in our circles and we are looking at it very logically but i think there is a very deep sense of aspiration which is i think a class dynamic in the sense that rich people own the knowledge and so we must all follow the rich people in that sense and mass society is functioning like that and that's why elon musk can get away with saying okay we're gonna launch Neuralink next next year considering that they've just facebook has just launched metaverse where people are spending six hundred and fifty thousand dollars buying a virtual yacht no. which you will never sit on in a real ocean it's just un it's just unfathomable the kind of yeah. neurosis that has seeped into society is just ridiculous absolutely ridiculous Right. No, I, that's, I, yeah, I feel you. Uh, Corey? I wanted to add, because you brought up children in Canada, I just want to give an update of the adverse event reports by age group. Even though Canada started giving children age 5 to 11 the um, authorization at Health Canada about a month ago, which actually Health Canada is whole, almost wholly funded by, far, by Big Pharma, by pharmaceutical industry. Anyway, um, they authorized it. And um, for some reason on the Health Canada government info base from zero to 11, they have not available. They haven't provided any of the adverse event reports for that age as of yet. And that's um, up to December 3rd. Um, age 12 to 17, we're almost at a thousand adverse event reports. And then in comparison, um, age 12 to 19 deaths since the beginning with COVID, age 12 to 19 are eight. And then almost a thousand adverse events. And that's just what's been reported, which actually represents only about 10% of, of the actual um, events. Um, Johan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree. It looks it looks really bleak, but but I mean, I also sense that there is this this deep distrust of the, of the institutions and, and the the broad layers of the population. So I mean, the, I think there is a there is a there's hope in the in the pros as as Orwell says. 
So, so uh, um, I just wanted to to ask uh, Hiroyuki, what, what uh, what's the situation in the in the art scene in, in New York and so on? Oh, um, um. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, <laughs> um, it's it's um, I, I I do think the uh, uh, at least on the surface, I think the art world is pretty much swallowed by the. Uh, uh, corporate phenomenons. Um, I don't think people operate um, within uh, what we call dissidents uh, sphere. Um, it, it, it's pretty depressing. It's, um, you would come across, uh, uh, um, you know, um, institutions requiring you to be uh, vaccinated. Um, uh, even if you live in a place uh, that doesn't require uh, those things, they would voluntarily uh, require. And, uh, and you can feel that they are doing it um, because they feel the pressure to stay within the um, uh, status quo. They, uh, that's how they operate. Again, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, the guiding principle is within the uh, um, uh, corporate party uh, political framework and uh, capitalist framework. And um, um, there are things you can say, um, but there are things you can't say. And um, um, I mean, we, we try, like you know, I, I kind of separate uh, uh, my uh, artist uh, social media account and uh, rest of the uh, uh, social media accounts. And uh, I don't really talk about uh, what we are talking about here in the, uh, 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 in here, in the arts uh, accounts. And, uh, and I do try, and I do try to uh, project bigger framework and uh, try to talk about how we are um, living in a uh, basically feudalistic uh, society uh, and the authoritarianism of money and violence is controlling us and we are losing what we really need, which is, you know, we, we love art. Art is about ima uh, imagination, creativity, and um, if we are stuck in this framework, it's not good. And, uh, you know, I say stuff like that and people agree. Um, but but you, you also understand that, uh, again, they can't uh, connect dots. Um, I mean, you can talk about corruption, you can talk about uh, even capitalism, but you might not be able to talk about uh, political parties, specific politicians, uh, specific political party, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I think artists, uh, unfortunately, artists are very good at uh, working with uh, their own frameworks uh, of whatever they do. And um, if they decide that this is their field, they'll be very, very good, but they're very, very good with lying about things, they're closing their eyes uh, with certain things, and um, uh, and this is this is. I think that I mean I'm coming to conclude this because I see so many good artists 
very, very smart people being totally clueless. They have extraordinary capacity to uh, set this framework. Uh, and this is very, very useful. They, they, they do beautiful things within whatever they decide is important. But once you step out of it, things don't make any sense. And um, um, this is something that I'm, I'm having a hard time um, uh, with myself as well, uh, being an artist and uh, being able to speak and being able to communicate uh, on the same level. Um, but there is, um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough, tough thing for artists, I think. And, uh, but at the same time, um, um, you know, I can't say that um, it, it's everyone, you know, that there are people who um, are doing things, saying things and uh, are struggling to uh, do what they can within, uh, within, the, what, within what they, they can do, you know? Because uh, what we can do as an artist, we have a wide reach of voices as well. And uh, um, so it's, uh, it's tricky. It's <laughs> I, <clears throat> I just want, before sort of getting to, because I see Corey wants to, I just want to add one thing, because we've touched on this before, Hiroyuki just did, but, but Johan has, and, and we've, we've done it when offline when we're chatting the loss of a of a counterculture loss of an avant-garde um and and i already felt when i left los angeles which was around 1999 um uh i had already felt the kind of cultural entropy that that had took hold that uh, the, the bureaucratization of, in certainly of theater, the 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 nepotism in film, the the class divides, the erasing of working class voices in all fields and all mediums, the professionalization of art, of literature, MFA programs. I mean, we've talked about all of this. I've talked about it many times, but. <clears throat> Additionally, I felt a psychic um, wear and tear in people, a sense of resignation and defeat in people that I had known for many years um, who, when I first met them, were kind of wild-eyed, radical, anarchist artists of some sort. Um, <clears throat> and that had all, they had just been drained of that energy that, that, the system grinds you down. It's hard to make a living. It became ever harder to survive as an artist doing work that you believed in. Um, many became very cynical. That resignation became um, retreats into new age beliefs or Eastern traditions or something anything that would provide a salve for a a sort of psychic um, wound that everybody collectively felt. And, and the 60s was already 40 years in, in the rearview mirror. And, and, um, and it was painful. And, and I think part of why I left was, was I really feared becoming one of those people myself. 
And I thought there's a bet maybe somewhere else I can escape this fate more um, because it was it was pronounced. Um, and, and I mean, there's a lot of factors, the AIDS um, crisis, especially, you know, wiped out New York art for a decade almost. It was, you know, um, had a profound effect, but it wasn't just that it was it was also um it, it was the institutionalization of art, the institutionalization of taste as well, the erosion in taste and education, all of it. Anyway, okay, final I thoughts. Mean, I mean, I, I, just, I just wanted to add about yeah. uh, being an artist. Uh, I, I, I don't really know if uh, most people understand that if you're an artist, you basically don't have uh, basic human rights. Um, you, you, you might not have a healthy insurance, you know, you, you might not have a place to live. You Absolutely. might not, you know, th those th and those things are uh, taken for granted. Um, you know, people don't uh, talk about uh, give, you know, uh, living wage for artists, anything like that. Um, so it, it, it's, it's really uh, artists have been at the mercy of uh, capital uh, in a tremendous way. And, and at the same time, art is being used as currency. So this cruel uh, mechanism uh, put on us is, um, uh, it, it's, it's actually extraordinary. And um, um, so I would say that the artists are highly, highly domesticated uh, within the uh, uh, capitalist framework. But at the same time, it's also, um, it's also crazy. I mean, I, I talk about uh, things as they are and uh, people usually get it. And, and they are artists and I understand why they get it because they know the true relationships of matters, you know, are always in the studio. You know, you, you see things happening in your studio and you can't lie to elements. You know, you, you follow the dynamics of whatever that's true. So uh, we can feel really uh, what's right and what's wrong at heart. So that, that, makes, that makes it even uh, heartful um, in many ways. Um, and, and it's really hard to talk about, you know, people talking about uh, hardships of uh, 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 being this or that. And uh, uh, the, 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 you know, it's, it's a hard thing to talk, hard thing to talk about being uh, uh, artist and being, uh, having a hard time because uh, it's not really known. Um, it's, um, um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's increasing. Well, but I mean, I think it's increasingly hard to talk about because that's been part of, part of what has eroded. But all right, let me get to Corey and Johan here. Corey? Well, I just, I just wanted to say maybe we have to go back and visit the um, paper, the discourse, what is it? The politics of, of obedience, the discourse mm -hmm. of voluntary servitude that was written almost 100 years ago in 1577 by a young guy. Um, Boti, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name. Yeah, that's a great piece. And I'll link that, actually. Uh, because, yeah. I mean, maybe we could all read that and then come back and talk about it next week. Because the uh -huh. questions, I read it a few years ago, and the questions he, he lays out have yet to be answered. 
right? Mm -hmm. How is that possible that, you know, 500 years later, we haven't answered these very basic questions? Again, he was in his 20s. And, you know, I think that's linked to like this um, creation of a very, very superficial society, right? Superficial people, like more and more, our surroundings are superficial plastic. You know, and speaking of which, a new emerging market, I mean, the plastics industry is absolutely booming, but we're surrounded in our homes by superficial, artificial objects, right? Our communities are artificial, superficial. Everything is just becoming more and more, you know, like dead plastic. Johan? Yeah, I, I, we talked about this, uh, this David Cronenberg film, Maps to the Stars, uh, a couple of days yeah. ago. And I think it kind of encapsulates a little bit of what, what you're talking about here, especially you and, and uh, Hiroyuki, but maybe, maybe especially you, John. Uh, I'm not going to go into it. I'm, I'm going to just read you a short snippet from the Bible I stumbled upon a few days ago. It's from, uh, it's from the book of Proverbs. If you faint in the day of adversity your strength being small, if you hold back from rescuing those taken away to death, those who go staggering to the slaughter, if you say, look, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay all according to their deeds? I thought that was uh, pertinent. Yeah, I like wrapping up with the... <coughs> the... <laughs> <laughs> with proverbs i think that's sort of appropriate no i i i will just add as a as a final thought unless anyone else has final thoughts um that uh what what i think artists when i think back 40 years ago um 50 years ago when i was quite young uh you, you were able to live as a young artist on very little and you weren't really persecuted or stigmatized. You didn't have to have a degree from a university and MFA program. Um, those programs have done enormous harm to, um, to Western culture, but uh, you were able to, to find fellow artists to talk to. There was, there were places to go. There was, cross-pollination um you know I, I i remember running into poets at 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 uh, the church where theater genesis was saint mark's um and and you know avant-garde jazz musicians and suddenly we would all be talking one night and and i had just met them and that sort of thing happened all the time that's impossible now. That's all gone. The artists I know, I know people who do work, they write books, they even sometimes self-publish those books, they paint for themselves, they don't, they're, they're not connected to any gallery because they don't have the connections. People write plays and put them in their drawers. Um, people I know trying to work in cinema with any integrity it takes seven to eight years to get a film made usually and and that's seven to eight years of intensive work and hustle um it's dire of course it takes a toll on people and and it's very hard to 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 not feel one's confidence ebb away and um and if you have a family it's extraordinarily difficult um, and and uh, that has that has changed dramatically and gets ever worse. I think we are we are at some sort of uh, nadir culturally. I think at this point. 
but um, but that opens us up into a whole other huge discussion. All right, if any last thoughts, otherwise, um, thank you all. Johan, Hiroyuki, Varun, Cora. Uh, just, just, um, can I just add? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, I wanted somebody to. Yeah. Well, um, so uh, Johan was saying about the, uh, the the basically the pressure to stay within the uh, the framework uh, is really uh, uh, domesticating. You know the the way uh, we are uh, uh, forced to repeat what the uh, authority uh, want us to say. Uh, I think it really happens on uh, many levels. It it doesn't just happen to the uh, people who are following the uh, mainstream uh, uh, media narratives. I think, I think uh, part of the reason that we keep hearing about uh, anti-communist uh, narratives, anti-socialist narratives, and anti-Marxist narratives is that I think it's basically saying that I oppose all these things but I'm still with capitalism, you know? Right. I think that's, it comes down to that. I think people want to ensure that they are not the enemy. Um, at least uh, I see, I kind of see that within the uh, field of art as well. Yeah. All right. That's a good place to um, conclude. <laughs> a sobering place to conclude. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you all. And uh, this will be up in, a, in uh, I hope, very soon. Thanks to Jack Littman, as always, for uh, his uh, technical expertise. And um, yeah. I'll see you guys soon then. Talk to you yeah. soon. I won't see you. I don't have a <laughs> travel pass. Um, all right. Talk to you later. Thank talk you. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.